Scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, on page 9 of your worship folder. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. This is the word of the Lord. say thank you to Andrea for reading that. Now I know how to pronounce some of those churches. <laughs> we come to this place again as we're studying the book of Revelation, this letter that is written that we talked about last week being, yes, apocalyptic and yes, prophecy, but, but more even a letter that is written to these churches. And there's a place here that we see in this particular passage where John is being directed to write to certain Churches. Now, these churches had received letters before. They'd been receiving letters from Paul and Peter, and, and others were writing to them back and forth. And those letters would go to one church and then go to another church so that they could read what was going on and have that encouragement. And so I'm sure that these churches, when the letter arrived with whoever was the courier that was bringing it to them, were excited to have a letter again brought to them from somebody. And this letter in particular, they knew, was coming from John. How amazing that would be. Perhaps they were overexcited, in fact, that, yes, we've got a new letter, something to give us insight into God's kingdom and who he is and how he loves us and who Jesus is and how Jesus transforms who we are. Ephesus in particular, we know that they've had letters because we have a whole other book in the New Testament. Written to the church in Ephesus. Written by Paul. Now, when my kids were growing up, there was a show in the States called Blues Clues. And in that, they would always get letters delivered into the letterbox. And Steve, who was the owner of Blue, would say, We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. The interesting thing here is for these churches, they thought it was from John. They thought this letter was from John. But it's not. We remember that even in the other letters that we see, that Ephesians and Galatians and 1 and 2 Corinthians, all say Paul, or when Peter writes, he says Peter. But in this particular letter, we see it's Jesus, who is writing to these churches. God to Jesus, Jesus then to an angel, then to John, then to the churches. And then when we get to these letters, these little letters that are within the bigger letter, right? So they probably read this first little part of the letter, this introduction, and thought to themselves, that's great. And then each individual church started getting specific, particular letters to themselves. 
And to be honest, some of them were probably quite embarrassed by that letter, knowing that others might hear. Some might have gotten a sense of pride, which would need to then be repented of, about the letter that they received. But the curious thing for us is these letters enter in into a real time and space, right? It's not just a letter that's for all churches at all time. It is that. But there was also something specific and particular going on in those churches at that time in Asia Minor. What was taking place is Rome had transitioned from this benevolent, sort of loving, through force, mind you, (laughs) empire, to saying everyone must come along and be a part of our imperial cult. Now, they didn't put it that way. They were saying, you need to worship whoever is leading that particular city. You need to make sure that you bow down to Caesar. And so, throughout all these little villages and throughout all these little towns, the Roman person who was in charge would set themselves up as some sort of god and would say, if you want to have commerce, if you want to be a full active member in our community, then you must bow down to me. And so they were calling them out for this worship. And the reason why they were calling them out for this worship is because they feared the particularness of those people. They wanted them to be uniformed. That if we can just get everybody to think alike, to be alike, to sound alike, and to worship one thing, then we can control. And so... In that place, these churches, these gatherings of people were wrestling with what that meant. How do we engage with this imperial cult that is out there that is calling us to worship them? Do we give in? Do we fight against it? How do we engage in this place? Some of them were filled with fear. Some of them just went along. What we do know is this. That Jesus comes and he says to them, here's what I see going on. So I want us to look at chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. Now we're not going to read the whole thing and we're not going to take all the time to to go through every little bit and piece of this. Remember, we're bird's eye viewing it. We're flying over the mountaintop. But if you have the Bible in front of you or you have your device, go ahead and look at Revelation. Open it up to chapter 2 and chapter 3. This is where we see these many Letters that are written to these churches. It's important for us first to know who again is writing it. We know that it is Jesus who is writing to these folks. It starts off to says, To the angels of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, how do we know that's Jesus? Well, just before that, we see Jesus being seen by John. In that passage, in John, in Revelation 1, John sees the Son of Man, Jesus. And he describes him in multiple ways. And we see those ways being echoed in this introduction to these letters. To Ephesus. I am the one who is among the churches. He says, I hold the churches. I'm the one that is there. To uh, Smyrna, he says, I am the resurrection, the one who was dead, but now I'm alive. 
to Pergamum. He says, I am the correction and the comfort is what he says to them. He says, these are the words who are sharper than a two-edged sword. That's a scary thing. But a two-edged sword means this, that it comes to bring confrontation or correction, but also healing and comfort. We know in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer reminds us that, that the word of God, that sword, the word of God, which is Jesus incarnate, is the thing that brings correction and comfort. Then we see later to Tyria that he is who? The one who has eyes that are flames of fire and feet that are burnished bronze. Well, again, John here through Jesus is calling back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, where he's talking about the ancient of days. That in that ancient of days we learn in Daniel means that it is pure judgment. Not pure judgment as in overcoming harsh judgment, but judgment that is pure, that can look among us and know this is what righteousness is and move us to those places. In Sardis, we see that this is the Trinitarian God. He says this is the words of him who is with the seven spirits of God and the seven Stars. We know that that seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. So here again, Jesus is saying, I am Trinitarian. We see in Philadelphia that this is the God who is holy. The God, Jesus, is the true one who has the keys to heaven, who will open up and shut things. And then we see in Laodicea that he is the amen, which is the completion making all things the way they are supposed to be. That I am the amen, the faithful and true witness. That what I see is reality. So what you see, church, is might not be reality, but what I see, Jesus is saying, to these churches is reality. So this is the Jesus who's writing these letters to these churches who are worried about this imperial cult that they must operate within. And so he raises himself up above, beyond that call, beyond all power, and says, I am the Christ. And then he says one more thing to them before he gets started. He says, I know your works. I know what you are on about. I am paying attention to you. I am seeing you. Now, I know that we're brought up oftentimes believing that Jesus is just like Santa Claus. That he knows when we've been sleeping. He knows when we're awake. He knows when we've been good or bad. So be good for goodness sake. That we worry that Jesus is up in heaven sitting on his throne with a tick box waiting for us to screw up so that he can mark off and go one down, two down, three down. And so when we hear things like, I know your works, it can be frightening to us. We can hear it and we can think to ourselves, I don't want Jesus to know my works. Jesus is not saying this in a place of condemnation. He is saying this in a place of revelation, of showing us what our works are. Because oftentimes we fool ourselves to what our works are. We see that happening in these churches. That they think they're doing one thing, but they are absolutely doing the opposite. And so it's good to have someone who is steadfast in their love to pursue us so that they can show us what our works are. 
So when Jesus says to these churches, I know your works, when we hear Jesus saying to us, I know your works, it should be a signal for us to praise and worship, knowing that I'm not going to be left in that work, that I'm going to be moved from it and renewed in it, because that's what we see Jesus doing here in these letters. He introduces himself as who he is, and then he says to those churches, I see what you're doing. And then he'll call out the things that they're doing. And then for some of them, he will say, I have this against you. Here's some things that you're not quite doing right. But then he gives them correction and a place of renewal. So let's look at these churches very quickly so that we can see what it is that they were on about, the work that they were doing and how God moves. There's two churches that we look at immediately that they don't get to hear good things. These are the churches that probably when their letter was read at other churches, they were thinking, I don't want that to happen. The first one is Sardis. We see that this church does not receive any sort of con uh, accommodation. Jesus doesn't say to them, you've done good. This is what he says. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He doesn't go on and say anything good about them. He just says, you are dead. Wake up and strengthen. He does say this. Those who remain. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember what you received and heard and keep it and repent. You see, this church in Sardis, they had been living a life believing that they were alive, but they were in fact dead. Some would say they were probably lazy in their pursuit of God because they loved their reputation of who they were. Other churches probably from the outside looked at them and saw that they looked alive. They're doing all the right things. They're moving in the right ways. That church seems to be growing. They look alive. And so they loved their reputation. And in loving their reputation, they become lazy in their pursuit of what they had heard from the beginning. This love of God that had pursued them and changed them and transformed them. And he says to them, go back to those things. Flip over. A little bit later, we see the church in Laodicea. Now, this is a famous church. If you've been in, in, in a church service before that's talked about Revelation or a church service that's trying to convict you of something, then they've probably used this passage about this church in Laodicea. Because it's a church that, that, again, does not receive sort of this uh, accommodation. That, oh, you, I see you doing this well. He says this to them. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you be that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich. I am prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This church in Laodicea became lukewarm. They had moved to the place because they loved comfort more than they loved God. 
There was a desire in their hearts to make sure we're just okay. That we're not too radical, that we're not too pushed back, that we're not too much of anything, but that we are comfortable where we're at. That we do just enough to get by. And so in their love of comfort, they become complacent. And that's the reason why Jesus says you're just like that stream that runs into your city that gets lukewarm. That's not worth having in your mouth. That's unpleasant at best. So these poor two churches have been told, I don't have anything good for you except a call to repentance. Now we go on to Ephesus, flip over to Ephesus. I just want to hit these really quickly. These folks loved the rule of doctrine more than they were able to be gracious. It says that they stood strong. I know your works, your toil, and your patience endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know of your endurance patiently and bearing up in my, in my, for my name's sake, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. See, this church loved the fact that they were able to spot bad things, evil things, those who were wrong in their rule. But in doing so, they become graceless. They become those who don't allow for a path back for those who have fallen. Because if you're not doing it right, then you can't be part of our bunch. They move to that place of gracelessness because they love rule. Pergamum and Thyatira are the same, very much alike. They are good churches. I know where you dwell in the place of Satan's throne, but you hold fast, he says to Pergamum. To Thyatira, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and servants and patience, endurance, that the latter works exceedingly to the first. But both of them have allowed false teaching to creep in. They've allowed those who are the outside to call something that is not truth, truth to sit among their midst, to be present in a way. And so they've moved away from their first love, which is God, and they loved acceptance. They wanted to be okay with those who were outside. They wanted to be accepted by the world around them. And so they loved acceptance, and that brought about compromise for them. They could not any longer say we're truth because they were allowing those who weren't truth to be present. And Jesus says, this is something that is wrong. You must repent. But then we have two great churches. At least they appear to be great. We have the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. And both of those churches, we see God calling out, saying, I know your works, and I want to commend you. There are two churches that he doesn't say, I have this against you, or you're doing something wrong, or doesn't say to them, I don't have any com uh, commendation for you, but I, I have this for only you. He says this to them, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. Do not fear that you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. But for 10 days, you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I know you will. And I will give you the 
crown of life. And in Philadelphia, he tells them the same thing. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've acted before you as an open door. I know who you are. You have little power, but you do not deny my name. Even though you are facing tribulation, even though you are facing persecution, but because you have kept my word and patience endurance, I will keep you in this hour of trial. Their first love remained God. Their first love remained a trust that God in the midst of everything was going to walk with them and care for them. Watch over them. There's a book called Hallelujah Banquet. And it's a gathering of sermons that Eugene Peterson, uh, who is a theologian, was a theologian and a pastor, had, had given. And that it's just gathered up sermons. And they were sermons about these letters. And in that book of these gathered sermons, Peterson says this. And this is what Jesus is saying to these churches. Do you think that Rome is running things? Christ is running things. And this is how he's doing it. Do you think that persecution and blasphemy and death and Caesar are the last words? They are not. Worship, life, praise, and the living Christ are the last words. This beautiful letters, these letters that are written, are written by someone who comes as light and love. That says, I will not leave you where you're at. I will come in great love, in steadfast love, in pursuit of you, to make you see the reality of your situation. So that you can receive the healing and the comfort that I offer to you. That church in Laodicea, that one that did not receive, that one who Jesus in fact says, you are so lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That letter doesn't end like that for them. The edit letter ends this way to them. Those whom I love, I repute, reprove and discipline. All right, that's good for us to hear. That, that discipline is not punitive discipline. I, I want you to hear that discipline is not a punitive discipline. It's not you've gone against me, so I must punish you. That's been taken care of on the cross. This is a restorative discipline. A discipline that says, I will take you in your brokenness and I will make you new. Those I love, I reprove, I, I tell you what you've done wrong. I discipline you. I, I remake you in that discipline. So be zealous and repent. When, when Jesus comes and he points out those places that are broken in our hearts, much like he was doing these churches, and he calls them to repent, that's our response. But here's the great thing. He says, it's to those whom I love. And then he says this, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers. Now, this is interesting. Each one of these little letters end with this phrase. The one who conquers or the one who overcomes. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquer and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus says to us in these letters, as he said to those churches, because remember, every one of the churches heard these letters. I love you. 
I want you to be made whole. In doing that, I have to point out the things that are keeping you broken. So that when you hear them, you can repent. And in repenting, I will bring you in in my great love. And it will feel like, it will seem like you have opened the door to me and I'm coming into your house and and I'm eating food that you've prepared for me. But the reality is this, Jesus says, I will come in and he automatically becomes the host. He automatically becomes the one that gives us the nourishment that we need. He automatically becomes the one who provides all of what we need to survive. So he comes in to this place in his great love. And then he serves us. So that we can know who we are in him. And then he says, you will sit on my throne. That doesn't mean he gets off the throne. That means we just get to sit in our big brother's lap. We sit with him right on the throne in his lap. He says, climb up here with me. Get up here and see how good God is for us. Let me pray. Father, let us be ready for the diagnosis and the healing of our brokenness. Let us be ready to receive when you point out that we are broken, that we sin, that we go against how you created us to be, so that we can receive that, knowing that your correction is comfort, that your correction is mercy, that your correction brings life. And like these churches, when we hear it, we will be made conquerors because we will sit on your lap. The one who has conquered the world and set us free. Father, if there's anything that's not of you, let this blow away and and, and be gone. Let it not take root in our hearts. But if there's anything that is from you, let it take root in our hearts so that it will bear good fruit and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.